in the midst of our struggle, your promise is that you are present with us. That's why we all sing the words, Lord, I need you. Every one of us in this room cannot go through life alone. We're not capable enough. We're not strong enough. None of us. Even the most whole and healthy. And so in these moments together, Father, we pray that you would use us as your unique people. That, Father, you would open our eyes and our ears to hear your voice in such a way that we would begin to live out of that place of love, that we would speak the words of Jesus in the way that, <clears throat> in the way that we live and speak and act. And, Father, we pray today that you would be with um, those who are among us who are suffering. We know in this room right now that we, we don't all have it together. But may we as a people embrace this idea of living true and honest and vulnerable and real lives in such a way that we just share where we really are. But somehow there's a God who is at work in us and through us and restores us and makes us better than we've ever been. So even when we share our stories about where we currently are, may we never forget to share how we got there. If it's a good place, may we help others see that it wasn't, wasn't always that way. And if it's a place of despair, may we recognize that we're not alone. So Father, we pray in these moments as we do this weekly that this is a gathering in which healing would take place. That we begin to live and love like your son Jesus. And we pray the prayer that, Lord, help us to look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, and we pray the same thing tomorrow. So, Father, help us to be your unique people, a unique people full of faith, hope, and love. We pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I'm going to invite Chuck. Um, Postman is going to come and just wants to share a brief thank you. Um, and, and we'll let Chuck share himself about, just about kind of what he's been going through. Thank you, Pastor. This is every pastor's risk, is giving up one of his flock the microphone. I am scared a little, to be honest. I, I, I promise not to abuse it, sir. Too much. So I just wanted to take this opportunity on behalf of myself and Sue and her mom, Anne, who also had a stroke just a couple weeks ago, three weeks after my stroke, and just thank you so much from the bottoms of our heart that, that uh, you, you put up thoughts and prayers on our behalf. It worked. And those prayers also helped my wife Sue, who came up twice a day and stayed with me for hours, every day at the hospital, and then went home and fed her mom and took care of a very demanding rescue pet we took into our house three months ago. Now, one of the side effects of my stroke, lingering things, is that when I get passionate or talk or I'm tired, I start to slur my speech. So bear with me. Anne is still, uh, Anne was transferred to Grand Rapids to Mary Freebed facility to make it more convenient for Sue's brothers to step up and help out. So she's there, and, and uh, she's not doing as well in therapy as I did. So continue with thoughts and prayers for all of us as we work through this. Uh, one of my favorite things to say to people who would say, Hey, Chuck, how you doing? 
uh, you know, rather than go find things, I'd always come back, well, at my age, any day I can still feed my own face and wipe my own tush has a great start to it. <laughs> well, thank goodness I was able to uh, continue taking care of myself with those fundamental skills without assistance. But I did need to take supervised showers. And of course, the person supervising me, keeping me from falling down, had to be an attractive young lady. So I hope that at some point in time, she, she no longer remembers those images. <laughs> they, they could indeed put her in need of therapy. One person stood out from this, my church family, while I was struggling, excuse me, while I was struggling in therapy, doing extra reps, I thought of one person in this congregation who struggles through everything and maintains a positive attitude. Now, I'm not a person who spends one second of my time in self-pity, and he's just like that. I wanted to mention Bob Stone. He's been my hero through this. Thank you, Bob. As we see him struggle, as he makes his way through the church, in his walk with God, that man is a world-class athlete. And when I grow up, I'm going to be just like him. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank you. Well, I could probably send you home right now. Um, <laughs> but what are the things that we think are important, that we think are really important, we just don't do? And what are the things that we think are, are just so important in life that we, we should do them? Like, I know most of us think exercise is important, but some of us do it and some of us don't do it. Like, we, we know it's important. I mean, I, maybe you're like me, you exercise so that you can eat that extra piece of pizza. And then you realize that kind of defeated the whole point to begin with. Um, or maybe you recognize that a balanced diet is a really good idea. Like, I balance my diet really well on Wednesday when I have a cinnamon roll for lunch. Um, like, that's probably not the idea of balance that we recognize as good. But what if there are other things, too? Like, we know we should probably help somehow with homeless people. We know we should. Sometimes we do it. We know we should volunteer at a church or a school or a nonprofit. We know that they really could use our help, and sometimes we, we go ahead and do that. We know it's really important to read because they taught us that in school forever from the time you learn to read, that reading is important. It's how you learn so much more. And so we know reading is important, but we usually just watch more television than read. Right? There are all kinds of things that we know are important, but we don't always do them. We have knowledge of them. Like, I know my car needs its oil change every three to 5,000 miles, depending on who you talk to. Think about this week as I read about a guy who his truck was over 100,000 miles, and because his dad told him it needed the oil change, he never did it. He said it would smoke and make all kinds of funny noises, but he was not changing that oil. <laughs> okay, that's not smart. We know that sleep is important, and so sometimes we get six to eight hours or more, and other times we're in that three to five window that's not healthy. Like we know, we know that the more sleep you get, the better you function to a point, right? We know if we don't have money, we shouldn't use a credit card. I mean, we know this stuff, but do we do it? Like these are things that we all know, but don't always do, 
Right? In other words, we believe these things are important to some degree or another, but we may not live them out. Now, the truth is, I kind of left out faith on purpose through that list, and it wasn't because I don't think it's important, because I think it is important. But today, some of us in this room aren't really sure where we stand in terms of our idea of belief in Jesus. And so, so for some of this, you can kind of tune out. But for others of it, I think there may be a line that's helpful in every aspect of life, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. Uh, there's a line I think that would be helpful to remember. And so there are a couple things I want to say on the front end of that, and that's this. That knowledge does not lead to change in our action. Discipline does. Right? We can know all kinds of stuff, but if we don't put it into practice, it doesn't matter. So here's the line. Discipline trumps knowledge. Discipline trumps knowledge. In other words, I'll take people who practice something all the time and live it out in some kind of way over people who know something more every day. Why? Because the person who practices, even when they fail can have an opportunity to get it right and be better in the future than the person who knows because knowledge doesn't lead to any kind of change in the world if it doesn't impact our action. Right? You understand that? I mean, we can know all kinds of stuff, but knowing does not lead to life change. So here's what I think I would like to say is this. Believing something but not having action is called sentimentality. Belief followed by action that's discipline. And whether you know it or not, the Bible actually talks about this. In fact, we've been looking at this letter in the book of James, and we'll continue to look at it today. And in the book of James, there's this, this guy named James who wrote it, and James is the brother of Jesus. And if there is no other reason that you believe in Jesus, maybe this will help. James, the brother of Jesus, prayed to his own brother. If you have siblings, you understand how remarkable that is. I know my brothers. There's no chance I'm praying to them. I don't care what they tell me. I don't care what action they were a part of. There's no way. But I guess if my brother had lived in such a way that his actions matched up to his words, and then in fact he died and came back to life, I guess I might pray to my brother then. That would make some sense to me. And so apparently James is all in on this. So I invite you to stand this morning as we read from James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Now, I want, to, I want to make a note here as we begin to look at this. James is writing to people who already believe in Jesus. Okay, so that kind of matters as we read this text today. Here's what he writes, James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, 
Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The word of the Lord. Let me be seated. Now, I, I know um, there's one line that kind of stands out in this text. It's faith without deeds is dead. We begin to see as we look at this text that we recognize that there's some things that are a little different for us. I think people will kind of misconstrue this, this passage. In fact, this last, this last year was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther, who was kind of the, one of the ringleaders of that, he wanted to take this book out of the Bible. Um, and this is part of why. He did not like this section at all. Um, I think Martin Luther was wrong. I think it's kind of a good section, and here's why. Um, if we remember who James is writing to, these people he's writing to already believe in Jesus. They're church people. But here's the thing I would say today. What, what James writes here is still applicable whether you believe in God or not. In other words, if what you believe isn't lived out in practice, you don't really believe it. I don't care what we're talking about. If you were to take an athlete and you bring an athlete into the room and you say, hey, and they say, hey, my goal is to be an Olympic runner. So I'm going to be an Olympic runner. That's awesome. You have... I've, I've watched every video on how to train. I've met with all these coaches. But if they do not go run and practice, they will never be an Olympic runner. It is impossible. Right? It's true for us in terms of faith, too. Discipleship trumps knowledge. See, we can know all kinds of stuff. But if we don't live it out, we probably don't really know it. It may make sense cognitively in our brain, but if, if there's not action following it, so action has to follow belief, or it's not really belief. Because our belief comes out of our actions. What we really believe is seen in how we live, for all of us. And so what I want to say this morning is this, I, we believe in Jesus and Jesus invites us to a way of life that's centered on this idea of love. And so the question we ask in terms of our life is, what would love do? What, what does love look like in this moment? How do I live out of this place of love? Because see, even James writes that even the demons themselves, even they believe in God. Like, belief in God is not, not the answer. So having faith alone. Now, if you're, if you're not even sure about what you believe today, I want to say that's okay. I do. Now, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want you to believe in Jesus and want to follow him with your life. But at the end of the day, if we don't make that decision to do it of our own accord, if we're coerced, if we're manipulated, if we're forced, it's not really worthwhile anyway. But at the end of the day, we believe in one who redeemed and restored is making all things new, and somehow Jesus invites us to take our next step spiritually. For some of us, it's just being here today. So we're glad you're here. For some of us, we've been coming to a church for a really long time, but our life doesn't show much fruit from that because we say we believe, but our action hasn't really followed it. So there's two kinds of belief. There's like intellectual acknowledgement. That's one. I mean, so we just, we acknowledge something is true. But the second way we believe something is it's a belief that impacts action. We live it out. Discipline trumps knowledge. 
Verse 20, James says, faith without deeds is useless. It's dead. It's not really faith. Can I just tell you today, it it would be better for, for you and for the rest of the world if you really don't believe, to just say you don't believe, than to say you do and to not embrace it. Like, that almost sounds harsh, I know, but it's not, because here's what I mean. We're not saved so by our deeds, like by our actions, we're not saved. God doesn't say, oh, because you did such great stuff, like you're in. What Jesus says is, you'll know me by my love. you know me by the love of my people. Come follow me. And then, because you know my love, you're saved for great deeds or great action or great love. See, we're not saved by our deeds, but when we come to know God's salvation, God's love, God's embracing of us, we're then saved for that way of life that is defined by love. James tells the story of Abraham and Isaac, and it's kind of a weird story, and we named our son after Isaac, and, and really Isaac's, Isaac's kind of this weird character in the biblical story. He just carries on the tradition before him, and so that's kind of what we hope for our son, that I hope that he'll just carry on the tradition of knowing Jesus. But it's this weird scene in which Abraham, Abraham thinks God's telling him to kill his son. Now, like I can tell you today with certainty that that's not the character of God. Like, I know that. Abraham, but Abraham wants to be faithful because he says he believes and follows. And so he starts in this process and keeps telling Isaac that God's going to provide. And God does provide. And he says, Abraham, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to know that I had all your life. I want to know that I was all yours. I want to know that everything about you, you, you really did love me, that you trusted me with everything. And now that I know you do, I don't ever think that this is what I want for you. Don't you dare touch your son. Love him well as I love you. I mean, this is a hard story in some ways for us. It's a, it's a weird thing, but, but what James writes in verse 24 is this, that righteousness comes by right belief and right action. Right? Just belief without action is not enough. Because it's not really belief. It's intellectual acknowledgement. But it isn't belief with action. See, here's the thing. Right relationship with God comes through our action. It acknowledges, it shows that we believe who Jesus actually says he is, that he's centered in this idea of love. And so what is right action? It's love lived out. I don't want to make it hard and complex. It's just love lived out. See, we can argue about right belief, like we can argue about semantics of doctrine or theology or those kind of things, but, but right action is easy. It looks like Jesus. That's it. When you read the scriptures and kind of the red letters of most Bibles, if, if the words of Jesus make sense, if we embrace those and we live those out, then that's what it looks like to love as God loves. I mean, what does it look like for us to put this into practice? What does it look for us to embrace this in such a way that we live it out? And so I, I read a story of a guy named Adrian this week. Adrian um, is a, was a TSA agent. So how, if you've ever flown, how many have flown in the last like 15, what, 17 years? If you've flown at all. So you go to the airport and, and they have these TSA agents who every person um, post-September 11th, they scan all your stuff and they pat you down and I've had, they take off your shoes and your belt and it's, it's a big hassle. I mean, as long as they, it works, like it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm actually good with it. I'm not angry about it because I would like my plane to land on the other side. Um, but when you go through the line, sometimes it gets really long and Adrian was a TSA agent in San Diego. It's a, it's a, it's a big airport. 
And the line would be all the way outside sometimes. And so Adrian was this little, like, tiny guy, about five foot tall. And so his uniform was two sizes too big because he was just too small. But Adrian would have all these people who are in a hurry because they're running late. Because no one thinks, when they tell you an hour and a half to two hours early, we don't think they really mean it. So we get there 45 minutes early, and then we find out the check-in line's an hour. And so we're hurrying. So Adrian would have all these people in such a hurry to catch their flight, and he'd have to check them in. And so this guy named Bob was watching him, and Bob would watch him, and he said, about a dozen different trips I took, I fly all the time, I watched this guy, and I read his name tag, Adrian, and I watched every single time a person would come to him, and they would be ticked and in a hurry and angry. Every single one, he would smile at all of them. And I'm like, well, this guy's weird. Why is he smiling at everybody? And he would, he would say, hey, I hope you have a great flight, and, and hope it goes well, and help, you know, and there you go, and check ID, and all that stuff that they do, and, and he'd send them on through. And Bob said, finally, I just got this off. Anybody can, can smile this much at these hundreds of people every time I'm here who don't like him because he's slowing them down from where they want to go. I had to get to know him. And so this guy named Bob, Bob Goff, met Adrian. They developed friendships. And he said our friendship was developed three minutes at a time because that's about how long I would have to yell up to him in front of me in the line until it was my turn and I had to go on through. And so for three minutes at a time, for a few years, we got to know each other. And then it turned into breakfasts and lunch and coffees and Christmases together with families and I, and I finally just said to Adrian, the first time I met him, I said, Adrian, I, I don't even know you. My name's Bob. Hi, I'm Bob. But I want you to know, like whether, I don't know if you believe in Jesus or not, but you are modeling Jesus every day, and it's awesome to watch. And Adrian came from behind this, his little desk and gave Bob a big hug. And, and Bob said, yeah, it's as weird as it sounds. The guy said, oh, you don't know, I, I became a believer of Jesus not that long ago, and I just want to love people like he did. And Bob goes, well, you're doing such a good job, I noticed. Keep it up. Just a TSA agent, five foot nothing, loved well, and others noticed. And so these lines about Adrian said, Adrian was just a guy who loved God, loved his family, and loved the next person standing in front of him. His action matched his belief. See, I want to read this other quote from, from Bob. As he, um, I, you get the, the benefit or the detriment. Whatever book I'm reading, you usually hear parts of it on Sundays. So sorry for that. So if you like the excerpts you hear, um, you get the book. If you don't, well, I'll be done with it soon and I'll be on to another one. I'll finish it probably the next day or two. So. In Bob's book, Everybody Always, he wrote these words. Most of us have all the knowledge we need. People don't need information. They want examples. God wants to use people like us to show the world that we know about Jesus by having them see the way we love the people around us, particularly the difficult ones. People don't need more information. They don't need more knowledge. They need to see more people loving well. What would the world look like if we love better? What if, what if our belief that Jesus really is the Son of God, what if, what if that really is true and that God really does give new life, what if we began to live that out in places of actual love, particularly the difficult people? What if love, not fear, drove our life? What if practice, what if the discipline of love, what if love began to be what triumphed over knowledge? What would happen if that was true? 
See, I think that even this week we'd, we would read about less suicides, not more, if love triumphed over knowledge. Knowledge doesn't prevent death. Love can. Right, it's why I, I've been thinking about how do we help this become real in our lives. See, I, I, um, I want my kids to follow Jesus. I really do. At the end of my life, that's the greatest accomplishment I could ever have is to help lead my kids to Jesus. And I can't make them choose that no matter how much I want them to. I cannot force them. It won't work. In fact, they'll probably do the opposite. They'll run away. But I can try to model for them because modeling is not knowledge, it's discipline. In fact, one of the things that you're doing right now is a part of that discipline. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but if you were to read the New Testament much, um, you would see that, that one of the practices of the followers of Jesus, they would gather as the community of faith, they'd gather as, as his church, his fellowship of people. Like, you're doing that right now? I mean, and so here's what I want to say tomorrow, or today and tomorrow and really every day is, is uh, hear this well, please. Um, I don't, this isn't meant to be a beating you up, but if you think the church is really important, then don't be a part of it just when it's convenient. I know Sunday is a fun day, but let's change the question we ask in our household from, are we going to church today? To what are we doing after church today? Let's change that language and, and not, please don't hear this as me trying to thump you. It's me loving you. Because I know what I would be if it hadn't been for the church. I know what I would be if I hadn't been for the gathering of people weekly. I know what I would look like and it wouldn't be that good. I just, there's something formative and foundational and powerful in this because it's a discipline. It's a practice. Like you can know it's important and not make it important, but live it out. Embrace that. See, in fact, I think that our practices have to be beyond just like going to church. It has to be the way that we live. And so I remember I was in college and my buddy Andrew, um, Andrew and I are still good friends, and, and we went to this youth ministry conference in Nashville. And they were talking something about loving Jesus. I don't remember what, I, I, and they, but, but, but living it out is God's hands and feet in the world. I hate when they say that kind of stuff because then you feel like you have to do something. So that night we're walking back from the conference center to our hotel in downtown Nashville and this homeless guy approaches us. He must have known there was like this conference there that we were all there for. And he says, hey, um, I haven't slept in a real bed in a long time. And I'm like, I just heard about how you're supposed to do things for Jesus. What the heck am I supposed to do now? So um, I look at Andrew and I'm like, I don't know. Like, he's like, what do you think? I was like, I think we got to do something. He's like, I know. I don't know. What, give him food. He doesn't want food. He's not hungry. He wants a bed. Uh, you got a bed? No. So he said, okay, will you stay right here and we'll be right back. He's like, okay, I mean, where's he going to go? He's living on the street right there. So we walked back to our hotel. Really, it was just so we could talk together and make sure we were on the same page. And so I said, hey, um, like, I think we should probably get this guy a room somewhere. He's like, I think so too. I said, our hotel's way too expensive. They've got the conference rate. We can't send him there. I can't afford that. There were four of us shacked up in one room, and we, we couldn't afford that on our own. So we, we called around and found a hotel that was open. There's a day's in, like two miles away. So we walked back to the guy and I said, hey, I booked a room. We'll walk you there and I'll check you in. Said, Sweet. So we start walking with this guy. I have no idea his name. I don't remember. And so Andrew and I are walking with this guy and we're walking down the road. And if we're walking on this side of the road, there's some people on that side of the road. And he says, we need to, we need to switch sides. I'm like, what? He said, we, we need to switch sides right now. Okay. I mean, you live here. I don't. So I walk the other side of the road and we, he goes, because those guys are a part of a gang in this area and they won't mess with me because I have nothing, but you probably do. And they will mess with you. 
Oh, okay, that's good to know. Thank you for telling me. We get to, the, to the, the hotel, and he says, I wouldn't walk back to your hotel. Um, so we pay for this guy's room, and, and so my cousin's a national police officer, and I call him, I was like, hey, can you come pick me up? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you did what? And I told him the story, and he goes, what are you, stupid? Um, and we don't even use that word in our house. And, and I said, no, I just felt compelled. And he's like, oh my gosh, one of those. Um, so he drove us back to our hotel and he says, don't walk through that part of town again. <laughs> if you're here again, call a cab. I mean, just don't do that again. Say, like, all right, thanks for the ride, man. <laughs> and he drops us off at the hotel. And I would love to tell you I was super spiritual and Andrew and I weren't worried about it, but the next day I called the hotel because my credit card's went on file. And so I was like, hey, um, I'm just making sure that guy checked out and he didn't trash the room. Um, I'm like, yeah, no, it's fine. Thank good. I'd love to tell you that I have all kinds of moments in my life where I've done things like that. I don't have enough. Because living out of that is a practice. It's discipline. It's all the time. In fact, about, about a year and a half ago, we were in Grand Rapids, and, and we had gone to this golf show. I'd taken the kids, and we had packed lunch that day, and, and um, we're leaving there, and, and there's this guy on the side of the road, and he just said, hungry. He had a little sign that said, hungry. And so I gave him my lunch. And, but I looked in the bag that we had for lunch, and I had some yogurts and, and some fruit, and, and I had two different types of spoons to choose from. I had, like, the metal spoon, that, you know, the nice ones you keep in your drawer, and this plastic kind of one from, like, a yogurt place. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, I'll give them the plastic one, and then I won't get in trouble with my wife for giving the wrong one. Made tons of sense in my mind. And so I gave it to him, and so Isaac saw this orange spoon from this yogurt place go out the door, and he looked at me, and he said, Dad, did you give that guy my spoon? Yeah, I was like, I had a metal one and the plastic one, and I just thought that the plastic one made more sense. He goes, and he just started crying. And he goes, Dad, that's my favorite spoon. And Sissy got me like, four of those, and that's my last one. Oh, crap. <laughs> I wish I had given the metal spoon. <laughs> so I call Katie, it's like, Katie, can you get more? She's like, no, they're from like some place in Indiana and somewhere that... Your, my sister was, and she got them. I was like, oh no, can we call them and buy them? Like, what is this going to take? So I try to explain to Isaac for the next 20 minutes, how he's like kind of teary-eyed in the back seat, um, why we gave away his spoon, because I wanted to help feed a guy who was hungry. And I don't know if he got it in the day, because I, he was still teary-eyed, and so we got home, the first thing he said was, Dad gave away my spoon. Um... <laughs> But then a few weeks ago here, we were, we were pulling out of, out of Walmart, and uh, there was this lady who was out there, and I had been fighting the crowds. I went on a Saturday. Don't go to Walmart on Saturday. It's a bad time to go. Um, and I had, the, I had the kids, and so we're, we're leaving, and, and there's this lady there, and, and she, you can tell she's homeless or something. And so I, I start to pass, and then I feel guilty. And Isaac says, Dad, shouldn't we try to help that lady, just like that guy in Grand Rapids? Or the guy in the, in the city? He calls it the city. Should we try to help that lady just like, and I said, you're right. So we turn around and we come back. Because um, they pay attention. Right? What we model, they notice. In fact, we're brushing teeth Friday night and he starts singing, um, your name, your name is victory. And then he wanted to sing, sing these words, which I couldn't even remember. I had to write them down because I can't remember them. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. I've been singing that song in church. Maybe you remember that. I, I didn't sing it for you on purpose because I want you to not leave. Um, <laughs> but our kids listen. What we model, the disciplines of our life, the rhythms of who we are, 
People watch. Adrian, the TSA agent, people watch. What are the practices? Because see, faith without works is dead. It's worthless. See, today there are people who've been serving all morning long. People who sang and led us in song. They were here. They were here early this morning. They practiced earlier in the week. There are people right now working with our kids who are hoping I'm going to finish any second. Because they love those kids, but man, an hour with them, whoo. There are people who, like Aaron, cut grass during the week. I know other people heard Rich was helping someone who had a flooded basement. I mean, there are people doing all kinds of stuff who are part of the life of the church because they want their deeds, their action, to reflect what they believe. Discipline trumps knowledge every time. See, we can believe the Bible is helpful, and that's knowledge, and we could, or we can read it, and that's called discipline. But see, here's what I want to say. We can read the Bible and get the knowledge, but if we don't put the words into practice, it's wasted. Uh, this week I got an email saying that we sent the, just the food we collected just for a few weeks. We sent 175 pounds of food um, to kids' food basket who collected almost, almost like a million pounds of food this year, which is incredible. I mean, it, it's a pretty cool thing that we get to partner with that. See, how we live matters. It matters. These words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Discipline always trumps knowledge. Our practices always trump knowledge. God's invitation for us is this. Our belief is seen in our action. What do we believe? But here's the cool part. Love trumps it all. Love trumps discipline and knowledge. So what does love look like? So here's the invitation for you and I today. Will we just live out of love? I mean, I know it sounds so easy, right? You just say live out of love. I mean, what if we just love like Adrian, the next person in line, the next person we saw, the person right in front of us? Love trumps it all. Begin the practices, because faith without works is dead. So therefore, discipline trumps knowledge, but love trumps it all. 
So the invitation for the church is this. Will we just learn to love well? Because if you're going to take the story of Matthew 25 where Jesus says, why didn't you do this? And you're like, well, I didn't know they were. I mean, in other words, they were difficult people. They made poor decisions. Right? It's like I love when I hear Christians say, well, those people in prison, well, they, they, did, they, 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 they did that. Their own actions put them there. Yeah, and you're supposed to love them anyway. Like, this is the part that I think, see, what the world doesn't need is for us to know more knowledge. Any more examples? Because I'll tell you this, if the church starts to love really, really well, the world will look radically different. Because love trumps it all. Father, will you help us today as we prepare to leave this place? As we prepare to leave, may we recognize there's a God who loves us in such a way that it is radically different. That you invite us to live out of your love in such a way that the world would know who you are by the way that we love one another and the way we love others. So help us not to just be people who have knowledge in our head, but may we live out of practices because people are watching. And may we live examples. And the truth is, we don't always get it right. In fact, we get it wrong more than we get it right. But practicing, by modeling, by trying, you change us. You help us. Father, I know in this room I can speak for me and my family, and I know I probably have got it wrong more than I care to admit. What I'm so thankful for is the way you love us in spite of our imperfections, our shortcomings. That even in the moments when I haven't modeled my faith well for my children, that you help us overcome that. That you so desperately want us to live out of a place of love, you pick up the broken pieces even we're trying to get it right. So help us to just keep trying. Help us to be a people of action and of love and may there be true activity in our lives. May we be a people who are at work. May love be seen in the words of our life and the attitudes that we have and the actions of our heart because if we're not living out of love then we're probably not following you. So help us not to just believe something. Even the devil believes in you. We want to follow you. We want our whole life to be wrapped up in you. We want to be people who are so radically defined by love that the world would know who you are by the way that we love. And so, yeah, we would talk about Jesus, but we talk about him because it's just a part of who we are. The people would not be agendas or projects. But they'd be people who we desperately want to love because we know the one who loves us. Let's not forget that love trumps all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us this morning?